Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I myself have tried to figure it out lately by doing complex yoga poses Mm -hmm. on the floor Mm. and Marty walked in on her hands while I was doing this and we realized she had figured it out, but she'd figured it out upside down. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, have you heard the the yoga teachers say, they they really do say this, let your brain. (laughs) This is literally true. This is literally true. Let your brain rest softly against the top of your skull. And I used to think, okay, that's weird. But I found that when I do that, the pressure of my skull on my brain actually communicates things to me. It's all on the inside of my skull. Yeah. So it's in there and it's all figured <laughs> out, but I can't really translate it to anyone who is not also upside down resting their brain against the top, top of their skull. I could imagine like people could come and have like meetings with you where you both stand on your heads and face each other and then they would know in silence and then they would leave that's so good and and when you say walking on my hands uh-huh just be clear I was walking with my hands under my feet so I was literally walking <laughs> on my hands um not so much standing on my head so please like if you're doing the yoga pose at home you want to bend over put your hands under your feet and then walk about like a bipedal creature with your brain resting gently against the top of your skull the inside of the top of your skull and it will all be obvious i think we've cleared that up okay let's that we are done Hmm. so seriously ro what are you trying to figure out i am trying to figure out Why I'm so worried about not doing things perfectly Mm. that I recently found myself reading the instruction manual for a saucepan. Oh, I remember this event. She does not speak lies here. This (laughs) happened. (laughs) Marty was laughing because I I had, I needed a little saucepan. I had a big saucepan, but I only had one and sometimes it was dirty and I needed a little one. So anyway. For you yeah. Americans out there, she means sauce pan, like a pan you cook soup in. I'm not even sure they know saucepans. Saucepan. 
Saucepan. She had a saucepan. It's a saucepan. I put a saucepan on my forehead. And a rolling pin. I'm going to bash your saucepan <laughs> with a rolling pin. Yeah, no, so it was a saucepan. A saucepan. A so saucepan. I took my saucepan and I got out the instruction manual. And a 15 page instruction <laughs> manual. And Marty had just been laughing about the fact that it was, that there was an instruction manual. And I was standing across the room and I mustn't have like replied <laughs> properly. And she just went, you're reading it, aren't you? <laughs> and Rob just looked back at me and said, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he'll agree there's a lot to figure out there. Yeah. Did you figure out the saucepan? The saucepan. No, I didn't actually. And I'm glad you asked because here's the thing. Yeah. People are cagey mm. about whether things should go in dishwashers or not. Oh. They they choose their words very carefully Yeah. so that, they don't have to say it's okay or it's not okay. Mm. And I just think there's been some weird lawsuits around saucepans and dishwashers. That is a rabbit hole that, you know, I think we could devote a whole episode to the lawsuits that have been filed by people angry that their saucepans haven't worked correctly. I think it would be a great area of the law to specialize in just for I, I i agree and and just for those of you who are wondering my instructions inside my head go like this grasp saucepan by handle lift saucepan it has a wooden handle so it is confusing yeah lift it lift metal part with handle strike opponent with metal part release saucepan <laughs> when you said strike <laughs> opponent i was Absolutely sure you were going to just say strike a pose. (laughs) (laughs) That's on page 13. I haven't read that far yet. (laughs) Vogue, 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 Vogue. Mm -mm -mm. Suspend Vogue. Yeah. Well, I'm glad (laughs) that you know so much about saucepans now. Thank you. Yes. What are you trying to figure out, Marty, for God's sake? I am still locked in this. I wish I had a saucepan with which to bash technology. I guess oh saucepan is technology. Technology is against me and my computer and my phone are, um, they are in league mm-hmm. to e- either destroy me physically or drive me mad. Well, listeners will remember, you know, that you do have a complicated relationship with Siri, the robot servant. It's true, but I, you know, it comes from all directions. I don't even know what's happening lately. I mean, we've all had autocorrects that go wrong and everything, but my, my, the phone will say, I have a note for you. Literally, it says to me, I've made a note. <laughs> All right. I go look at the note and it just says $40. <laughs> like, what do you want? I'll give you $40. Stop threatening me. And then literally, I came down to do this podcast and I looked at my texts or my reminders and it just said, 13 days remaining. <laughs> And I'm like, I got to get my will in order. This yeah, is terrifying. They're really menacing. Yeah. And then, okay, so that is, you know, it's frightening to be, you know, vaguely, implicitly threatened by your own phone. Hmm. But then I did something that it, it literally just drove a knife into my heart. It literally drove a knife into your heart. Well, this is time literally. to get the cops involved. It drove a saucepan into my heart. Um I was writing a text to a friend who doesn't often text me. I was really glad to get his texts. You know, he's a cool beans dude. Where it's very cool, very cool. So he writes me this cool text. Hey, but dude, what you doing? I'm like, yeah, okay. So good to hear from you. We're all doing fine. Um, congratulations on the thing you did. Hope to see you soon. And I sent it. <laughs> <laughs> And it went boom, like it does when it sends something. And then I heard it go, I heard it go boom again, even though I had not written another text uh-huh. or done anything. Uh-huh. And I looked at it and it had sent a follow-up text right on the heels of the first one. What did the follow-up text say? It simply said, yeah. <laughs> As though you had written... This text to your friend and then sent it and then read it through and gone, you know what? I'm just going to, I have, I have a review of the, of the above text that I would like to, I would like to share. Yeah. 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 That is, that's a good one. That that was one of the great texts. Yeah. I, I love it when I said, hope you're well. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I had to write another text that said, I didn't mean to send the text that said, yeah. My phone did that. At this point, my coolness is like so, it's absolute zero. Nothing can exist at the level of of not coolness that I have. So, yeah, it's funny because back when we had the original conversations about Siri, there was a certain lightheartedness to it. But not now anymore. it really feels like you're actively being attacked. No, that it's it's a death battle at this point. Yeah. Wow. If I don't show up for the podcast, just know that my iPhone did it. All right. Oh. Yeah. So okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's coming from inside the car. Wait, car, house, brain. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. (laughs) Yeah. We'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a little favour to ask. Would you consider giving us a little rate and review love on your favourite podcast player? helps people find the podcast it builds this beautiful community most of all it helps us in our quest to bewilder the world thank you so much change eh Mm, it sure does keep happening i feel like there's something that you martha beck have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it By coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. So, Marty, today we are talking about time. Time. Yes. What's it all about? Time. Time. Is the culture trying to pull the wool over our eyes about time? I assume that's a rhetorical question. It's not a rhetorical question. Everyone wants to know, just tell us. Yes, the culture is trying to pull the wool over our eyes about time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we're done here. We're done here. Thanks for joining us. No, you know this to be true because... Well, we... This podcast episode came to us recently in a conversation that we had on the telephone. Do I lie? You do not lie. Well, you lie sometimes, but not about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. So this is what happened recently. I was driving the car along the New Jersey Turnpike. Mm -hmm. Just like Simon and Garfunkel. They would in, in a bus. Ah, or at least one of them was. <laughs> Maybe the other one was just behind on the seat. Counting behind. the cars on the New Jersey turnpike. They did do that. So I called Marty because I had a sudden thought hmm. about the New Jersey turnpike. And that was, so I called you, bring, bring, bring. Hello. And you said, hello. And then I said, Marty, did you know that I have a weird thing about the New Jersey turnpike? And you said, Tell me all about it. Do tell me. And so I did. And here, here was <laughs> I'm that glad thing. that they know all this backstory about what you're going to say. I'm framing it up. Got it. I'm got creating it. a Picture container. Us on the phone. Bring, bring. Yeah. New, New Jersey, Jersey Turnpike. Turnpike. You got that. I don't think I've said New Jersey Turnpike enough times yet. New Jersey Turnpike. So <laughs> I told Marty that when I was a younger person, I once saw a movie called Being John Malkovich in which a character gets spit out of a magical portal on the side of a road and I swear to God the first time I saw that I went, that's the New Jersey Turnpike and I said it out loud. (gasps) There were witnesses. I just said that's the New Jersey Turnpike. Sure enough, that turned out to be the case in that movie. Uh Uh-huh. I remember that movie. Yeah. And you were just shouting this in a movie theatre with people going, what? Why? I I believe I was at someone's house. Mm. I cannot remember exactly it could have okay all right let's not get caught up in that Yeah, proceed proceed thank you so I didn't I don't think I really knew what a turnpike was I don't think I really knew what New Jersey was and I don't even think I knew that it was a road 
Hmm. Still not quite sure. A turnpike is a weird word. I thought it was kind of like a, a, a gate of some sort. Yeah, it sounds like it should be like something that is part of a mill. Well, it's a turnpike. There's a guy, a guard with a pike, like a spear, right? And and then he pokes it at you and says, you can't come into New Jersey. And then you say, no, pike, turn. And he uh, turns his pike and lets you go into New Jersey. If you have an easy pass on your car. That's something that they don't know out there. They don't know about us and our easy pass. <laughs> but when you go on the New Jersey turnpike, I can't say it. I've said turn bark. I've said turn bike. And I've said turn park, but all, I have not said turnpike. All proving that there is something mystical about the New Jersey. Okay, turnpike. so proceed with the story. Let us get back on track here. All right. So I used to, like, this is probably, I don't know, I guess I was like in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. And I would tell my friends, I have this weird thing about the New Jersey turnpike. There's another movie that it was in that I also recognized it immediately. Mm-hmm when it showed up in the movie before it was named. I can't remember what movie it is. And you'd never been to America. You had no idea what this was. No idea. Okay. And that line from that um, Paul Simon song, Counting the Cars on the New Jersey Turnpike, that would get stuck in my head for weeks. And I used to say to people, it's so funny. New Jersey Turnpike is like some little grommet in my brain that is attached to the New Jersey Turnpike, and I have no idea why. So now... In the last four days, I have traveled the 38 miles or whatever of the New Jersey Turnpike four times. Every week I'm going to be traveling it. Isn't that amazing? It's like of like of all the roads, <laughs> of all the toll roads in all the world, you had to <laughs> drive onto mine. Toll roads. <laughs> Oh, Marty. No, I hear you, though. We're, you we're must just, not mock me with We're my skipping accent. between movies, yeah. Of all the turnpikes in the crummy world, she had to drive onto this one. That's right. Yeah. And so what do you make of this? You're obsessed with the New Jersey turnpike. Now you go back and forth between New York City and yeah. our house in Pennsylvania. And it's you live basically on the New Jersey turnpike right now. That's right. That's right. And so we started talking about is it possible that when I just used to get that that idea, that those words, that image of that road stuck in my head years and years and years and years ago, that I was to use the the phrase that the word that you use, pre-membering the New Jersey Turnpike? I put it to you, Martha Beck. Yeah, the word pre-membering is uh, one of my clients coined that. I can't remember her name, but thank you out there for coining the term pre-membering, because I think. Most people experience this from time to time. There are these glimpses of future. And in our culture, we think it's normal to remember everything in the past in Mm. the arrow of time, but nothing in the future. Right. So that's just too woo-woo and it can't be true. But it's happened to both you and me and almost everybody I know at some point. What is going on here? Right. And and let's just remember as well that we don't like... It's, it's suppressed so much that we don't even recognize it as the function of memory. There's just like these weird little things that come up. And you it's like, what? what is that? We don't even know. It feels like memory to me. There, And you know what? As a, I've gotten older and older and older and it's happened more and more and more. <laughs> now I'm 10,000 years old. I have stopped doubting it. When I, I remember something as vividly from the future as I do from the past, I just trust that that's there. It's real. Mm. And it, it, it's come to pass as my life has gone along. We'll tell more stories later on. But the, the reason my client coined this is we were in a seminar and everybody there had had this experience. It's not unusual, but in the culture, it's unspeakable. So as you know, in this podcast, we're all about helping people from bewilderment to bewilderment, mm-hmm. to their wild, true nature. And today we want to dig into what is our true nature when it comes to time. time. So, Marty, what would you say the culture says about time? How are we to think about time in the culture? I looked it up several places of and everything agrees that time is a way of ordering events in a sequence that clicks along at an even, unvarying pace. I all- saw a bumper sticker once that just said time is what stops things from happening all at once. Oh, Basically, that's a mic drop. We can just leave now. <laughs> but no, the, the the point is that it's orderly, it's in unvarying, mm-hmm. and it only goes in one direction. 
from the past to the present to the future. And you can't, you can't see into the future. You can only see into the past. So that's those, all our cultures, definitions of time have those elements. Ma- yeah. Marty Googles, <laughs> what is time? And Google responds, 12.44 p.m. <laughs> and it was just like, that's, that's what the culture says. No arguments. Yeah, this, this is, is the time it is. And, and we actually, there are different kinds of cultures that see time differently. So we have what's called a monochronous, monochrome culture. So one time. Everybody shares one time. It, it's all very linear. And, and our, those cultures, it would be European and American, North American cultures, Australia too. Western-based cultures um, are really focused on schedules and punctuality and making things happen on time and deadlines and productivity. That that mindset all goes with this view of time. Mm. Where if you get a polychronous culture, time is more malleable and events are, are seen as being able to happen spontaneously, concurrently, um, backwards. Like time is just a much more malleable thing. Like a Gabriel Garcia Marquez book. Yes, exactly. Yes. A hundred years of solitude where he gets up every day and every day it's Monday and it drives him crazy. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I it was interesting when we were talking about this because I said rubber time because that is what I've always heard people talk about with this. And you hadn't heard the term rubber time and never. And I, I love it. I wondered if it's like a Southeast Asian thing, and that's why in Australia we hear it all the time. But I think it would be any place they have rubber. Interesting. But I never heard it. Yeah. So, but it was pretty funny because when my cousin said this to her Indonesian boyfriend, he had no idea. Like she was describing his his approach to punctuality, and he had no idea what she meant. So he googled it. And he was he was given the translation condom time, which led to a lot more confusion in their relationship, so I have to say. Did. So he'd show up late for an appointment and she'd say, rubber time. And he'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I think that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you have your darling relatives. Um, <laughs> I don't know if he's the father of your cousin's beautiful son, but. No. I'm afraid not. Okay, so he actually did have a he had, rubber. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> All right, so that that prevented one life that we would have loved dearly from occurring, rubber time. Anyway, our culture doesn't think in terms of um, of this sort of mystical everywhere. I, I once read the word everywhere as a translation of an indigenous culture's uh, view of ultimate reality, mm. and. Instead, we're always focused on doing things on time and it's exhausting and it's, it, we drive ourselves. I think I've mentioned on the podcast before when um, slavery was abolished in the Caribbean and the white overseers just became, you know, businessmen, the former enslaved people said, you know, they've replaced our manacles with their wristwatches. Like time hmm. was like a manacle around them. So maybe if time is that difficult to deal with, maybe that's not our true nature. Mm. Maybe that's just the culture because true, monochronous cultures have taken over the world, but polychronous cultures were much more plentiful all over the world for many, many, many thousands of years. So maybe that's our true nature. I think that there's a very good case to be made in that direction. I was thinking about a novel that I really love that I actually studied in high school by Ian McEwan, the British novelist. It's called The Child in Time. It's a hell of a read. And there's a physicist character. It's all about time. And there's a a physicist character in the book who says, who's always kind of coming in as the voice of, well, couldn't this be that? You know, does it Mm -hmm. have to be so explaining to another character what's happening. Monochronous. Monochronous. I have no idea how to pronounce. Those are words I have read but not heard. Mm. I'm just making it up. I'm winging it. Yeah, I think that's fine. But she's there to explain this physicist sense. Yeah, and so before we start talking about how do we come to our senses around time, uh, I just wanted to read this quote, which is what this physicist says in The Child in Time. She says, 
But what, whatever time is, the common sense everyday version of it is linear, regular, absolute, marching from left to right, from the past through the present to the future, is either nonsense or a tiny fraction of the truth. Either nonsense or a tiny fraction of the truth. So you read a novel, even though the novelist is very, very smart and obsessed with physics, so he knows a lot, it, you can still say, okay, that's fiction. But as I mentioned, we've had experiences that turned out not to be so fictional. One of the things that really jumped out at me was a time, I, I, I was probably 14 or 15, and I was in the room with the TV in our house, and I was just like on the floor drawing, and... I looked up and there was on the screen, there was a man running around a track inside like a, you know, a, um, not a warehouse, gymnasium or something. It was a big building with a track in it. Airplane hangar. Mm, something like that. Anyway, man running around track and just that. And I immediately thought, well, that's where I'm going to college. And then a voice came on and it said, here at Harvard's blah, 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 track, they're examining blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, Harvard, weird, wow. And I have mentioned it every five minutes since. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone else who went to Harvard. No, but I, I really, I think that's one reason I applied, but still even the idea that I'd get in, it was, it was just an absolute plain remembered fact from the future. Yeah, right. I just want to say something about what you said before about fiction, though, because so you said, oh, well, we could just say, well, that's fiction, Mm -hmm. right? And I have a bone to pick with that idea because I don't think there's any such thing as just fiction, especially when we're talking about something as subjective as the experience of time. The idea of fact and fiction, it just seems so meaningless. Even the physics of it is so theoretical and there it's just people postulating this, that or the other, right? right? So it like I just think it literally doesn't matter if something is is suggested in fiction or in fact when we're in fact in nonfiction. When we're talking about this sort of topic, about you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's just like everyone's only got whatever's inside their head, and their and objectivity doesn't really exist in this sort of topic. Don't, do you know? Yeah, what I mean? yeah. I mean, I understand that to be. I mean, many people who write fiction are putting a great deal of the truth in there, and this this is a case where somebody actually knew an enormous amount and was writing about it very articulately. And more to the point, it lands for me for you because it resonates with some some experience of time that's really deep inside us. I remember when I was 16 and I I was obsessed with time can't work the way they say it does. Mm. And I had these little flickers of future memory all the time. And then I, I read a very, very basic guide to Einstein's theories. And it talked about him being on a trolley car moving away from a clock. And he thought, if I were a photon moving at the speed of light, then the only image I would ever see of the clock is the one it has right, right now. So if I were moving at the speed of light, time would not exist for me. And so I went, oh, and everything inside my brain went, oh, thank God, that's the way it really works. Of course, I knew that's the way it really works. I didn't, like, where does that come from? Hmm. You are an unusual person. You, you know, just pick up a little Einstein to read when you're 16. Oh, it was, it was it's not like, how I was spending my time when I was 16. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, considering the way I looked at 16, I had to be doing something with my time. What is that meant to mean? Well, you had boyfriends and whatnot or girlfriends or whatever, right? I had not. You had a social life. You were like out on sailing tall ships. I was wasting my youth. I was sitting in, in in my bedroom reading Einstein for dummies and going, maybe this will save me. Wasting your youth. Yeah. We all waste our youth in different ways. It's fair. <laughs> so it's like we have these little flickers of the future yeah. coming that come in, right? And But we don't know them for what they are even necessarily. Like you, yeah. that's unusual that you went, that's where I'm going to college because that was very clearly framed up as here's something that's going to happen in the future. Whereas for me, often they just feel like (sighs) strange occurrences in my mind, you Uh know, and it's like, it's, 
it, it's more like a glitch in the matrix. Ah, yes. Like how could I know that that scene by the side of a completely anonymous road was the New Jersey Turnpike? Yeah. That's just a glitch in the matrix and that is a cultural reference that I don't think we need to explain at this point. No, but, and you know when in that in the movie The Matrix when Neo sees the cat walking past and then he sees it walk past again and he realizes mm. there's a little flaw there's a flaw in the code yeah. that is creating his reality and he's like oh things are not what they seem to be mm. over and over you'll find this mentioned in in fiction in people's <gasps> real experience just fiction that's just and their real experience it's like oh there was a glitch in the matrix there's a reason that movie resonated with people we all have glitch in the matrix moments this is what i'm saying yeah and then as you said we're so socialized to say that doesn't exist that we don't even we don't even sit down and go huh I wonder what that really is. Yeah. But we're doing that now. And so we're having all these pre-memories. But maybe we're just, by seeing time as linear and fixed and running in only one direction, we're robbing ourselves of an experience of human life that is richer in in data, in (laughs) intelligence, both in the sense of the information and the wisdom that's trying to come to us from a part of the psyche that clearly is tapped in outside of time. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. Hey, Marty. What? Do you think that it is possible to like force a pre-memory? Huh. Like, or do you just have to wait for them to float by like the cat walking by twice? You know what it feels like to me? Uh, and I'll talk more about this in a minute. But when I, when you said that, I went and I tried to find a pre-memory. Hmm. And I noticed myself doing a sequence of behaviors. I, yeah, I like turn my attention inward. It's like a pike turning. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a very clear image. And to very me. close to New Jersey, may I add. I bet. Um, I found I found my attention turning inward, and then I was like scanning an internal landscape of time, huh. looking to see if I could remember something now. And what I got was not any clear, vivid image, but a kind of shimmer, mm-hmm. a kind of texture of things to come. Yeah. And I realized that this is happening to me not once in a while, but all the time. And and we've talked about how when something's going to happen to us, that's very momentous. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's coming closer and closer. And part of me already knows it, knows it well. And it's talking to the part of me that's in linear time and going, here it comes, here it comes. And the sense of it coming gets almost overwhelming. And sometimes I know what the thing is, but often I don't know. I just feel something coming. And I know, well, it's like, when our company was meeting to discuss what we were going to do in 2020 Hmm. and we went around the room, there were six people and we're all talking about what are our goals for ourselves? What are our goals for the future of the company, a little company in 2020, right before the pandemic hit. And every single person said, I don't really, I can't really feel anything. I don't, I don't know what's meant to happen. And then one woman sat up straight and said, all I can feel is be ready. And everybody in the room went, you know, Ooh. chills. And and she could have said it at a different time. And I don't think it would have affected us all so much, but we were all like, holy crap, what's going to happen? Mm. And we were poised, remember? Mm, mm. And then when it, and I of course thought something wonderful is going to happen, the plague. <laughs> but when it did happen, it was like that, that was it. Yeah. You know, and we can also be, I think sometimes when something's meant to happen, there can be an almost like it's such a tension between the part of us that's not in time and and knows and the part of us that is in time and is like why am I so unhappy this isn't right this doesn't feel right this doesn't feel like my life should feel you know remember when we were living in California and you decided you wanted a dog 
Yes. And you were like, I really, I think I want a dog. And we were, we said, okay. And we went online and looked for rescue dogs and we saw the dog that would be ours. They called him Wally. And, um, we just said, that's the dog. Mm. So then we found out somebody else had already claimed him. And you were like, distraught. You were like, that, that can't be true. That's my dog. That's what, yeah. where's my dog? How come he's not here? Yeah. I've had that feeling before for different things. And then <laughs> Ro created a 16 page dossier on why we should be the ones to get this rescue dog. And I mean, it, was, it had it illustrations, it had original poetry and a lot of science. <laughs> Not a poetry. It was a, well, it was like poetry. It was very compelling imagery and text about why this dog would be happier with us. And then, and so the people got it and they were like, holy crap, you really want this dog. So if you want to drive like 800 miles <laughs> to come get him. Along the New Jersey Turnpike. Yeah. And they said his name is Wally. He never responds to his name. But if you pat and squeak and kiss, and he'll come to you then. But he doesn't ever respond to his name. Okay. <laughs> if you pat and squeak and kiss, he'll come. Oh, I'm looking at him out the window while we record this. I think I just told the people way too much about my internal life. <laughs> anyway, and possibly our relationship as well. Anyway, so Karen and Ro went off to drive several hundred miles to where Bilbo was being given away by this family. And they got out of the car and we'd already decided that we would name him Bilbo. And you got out of the car, right? I mean, I wasn't there, so you tell it. Yeah, but you've got the story like really tied up. This is the way it was told to me. Um, This is what Karen (laughs) said. Ro got out of the car and said, Bilbo and this little black dog turned as if he had been pulled by fish line and just ran straight to her. And he's always responded to the name Bilbo, always. Or even as I call him, Bilbo. 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 (laughs) People say, oh, your dog's so cute. What's his name? And Ro says, Bilbo. And they say, Bell boy. I love Australian. Oh, Australian. But yeah, yeah, when something's really close, you do this all the time and I do it a lot of the time. It becomes almost maddening that the mm. thing is not present. It's almost like to me, it's like our part of the mind is existing in that horizontal marching line of time, arrow going from left to right in a regular sequence. Mm-hmm. But then there must be even though these are anecdotal experiences, they happen to me. I have to credit them with something. Right. So it's like there's a part of me that is eternal, which means outside of time. It does not mean forever and ever. It means with no time. And I've got the linear arrow of time moving along. That's a mind. And then another part of my psyche is outside of that saying, now it's time for you to move to a ranch in California. I saw that ranch every single morning. Before I would open my eyes, I would be like, now I'm living on a ranch in California. And I could, this is when I was living in Phoenix. And I would see exactly. Otherwise, it's quite a boring story. I saw that ranch every morning. <laughs> I just woke up and opened my eyes and I thought, there it was. you live in a ranch in California. <laughs> yeah, the only interesting thing about that story is that it happened before I'd ever been to this ranch in California. Yeah. I would just wake up and it wasn't a dream. I would just see that when I opened my eyes, I was going to be in this particular landscape. There was a field, there was a black horse in the field. There were, I could see the mountains. I could see the structures and I would open my eyes and I'd be in Phoenix where I'd lived for 20 years. And I could not believe that I couldn't find the ranch. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went on, I, people are going to think I'm really, see, here's the culture. They're going to think I'm crazy. So I start to censor myself. But the fact is, eventually I got so familiar with that ranch and everything on it that I simply went on a real estate site and Googled all the structures that I knew were on that ranch and found the only ranch that fit that profile. And it was, it was being offered for sale. And that's where we went. So in that case, that was just like really clear information. Like you were just being given, all right, you want a barn here and a dwelling there and da, da, da. But I feel like sometimes it, it, like, it doesn't have to be as purposeful as that. Like, you know, I feel like sometimes it's just, you get these flickers and they're just these delicious, like little hints and tantalizing kind of clues and Uh stuff. 
like, do you remember the My Lovers in America? Thing? Oh, tell that one. So this, I just, for years, there's this folk song, very sweet folk song called My Lovers in America. And it's this story of this Irish couple who he's gone over to work and send money home and they're just miserable without each other, you mm. know, that kind of song. And but I would just have that line in my head for about 18 months and it was before I had any, again, any intention of coming over to this country, any, wow. like, particular interest in, in this country, but I would hear my love is in America, my love is in America. And I'm so glad you did. Yeah, sure and enough. I, you know, this is, this is important because you do things based on, well, both of us, we tend to do things based on these flickers and these intimations because we mm. both like to get outside of culture and sort of trust the woo-woo. And it gets stronger for me because of experience over time. And I used to do this thing that I want to tell the peoples about because yeah. you can maybe use it. When I was young and going through something difficult, like, you know, when I had the, um, when my son, you know, I constantly talk about my son's diagnosis with Down syndrome because that was a big turning point in my life. At times like that, I would sometimes feel so completely out of options. I didn't know what to do. And I would pretend that a very old version of myself was in the room with me. And it was always a 50 year old self because wow, that, is, that the, is old. It's the oldest I could imagine being ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be sitting there in anguish and I would picture my 50 year old self coming into the room and I'd say, how did I get through this? Like cast your mind back in time. Remember the past and tell me how to do this. And she would. And I'd like write it in a journal and it was just my imagination. I knew that, but it helped. Then when I moved to that ranch, it happened to be the year I turned 50 and I would sit in the forest and meditate. And many, many times I felt as if when I sat down and let go, I got pulled into like a dark room in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where a pregnant 25 year old was sobbing her guts out. And I'd say, it's okay. I'm here from the future. And she'd be saying, how did I get through this? And I would say, here's how you did it. Here's how you do it. And I honestly believe two things. One is if you ask your future self for help, that future self can give it to you. Even if it's just imagination, it will at least give you something to work with. There's no such thing as just fiction, just imagination. Yeah, it's because all the glimmers. equally real. Yes. There's no objectivity in There this is game. no objectivity. Yeah. So the glimmers come through. And if you trust them and go with them, your future self will help you or your eternal self. And then the other thing is that I believe those times when as a 50-year-old I went back and talked to the 25-year-old were very healing for me psychologically. Mm. So I always have this thing, and maybe you can use this if you had difficult times in your past. I go back and I find the younger self and I say, okay, you're going through this right now and you don't see a way out, but I am going to promise you, you will find a way out. You will be happy again. You're going to one day look back and say there were wonderful things about this experience and I can tell you this for sure, 100% certainty, because I am from your future. And you know what I love about that is that it's it closes the circle. Like, mm. And so often it seems like time behaves more in our experience, again, subjectivity. It, it, it behaves in circles. It yeah. doesn't behave in straight lines. And I was thinking, you know, Nothing, you know, the the famous there's no straight lines in nature, nothing is a straight line Mm. that we know to be real, you know, and that we can observe. Why would time be the one exception, the one natural phenomenon that you can measure, like you can just draw with a ruler on a piece of paper? It just that that's and if you did draw a line with a ruler on a piece of paper and you kept the line going all the way around the world it would turn into a circle like even what we think of as straight lines become circles because they're yes unless the flat earth people are right that that could be a whole different podcast yeah 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 that actually that is precisely the experience that i've had when in when i meditate and i drop into the present moment so my nature, if you go to, as Eckhart Tolle says, if you go to an eagle or an oak tree and you say, what is the, t- what is the time? They will say, now. They will it's- say 12.44 p.m. 12.44 p.m. all the time. <laughs> but it's always now yeah. in nature, in our truth. And 
our minds live in this horizontal time and we're always obsessing about the past and terrified of the future. But when that, that part of the mind drops away and you're really, really genuinely present, like animals are, like all nature is, it's to me, it's like the line of time. It, it, it just falls apart and in its place is this gigantic sphere of, of every when. And I'm at the center of it and you're at the center of yours. We're all subjectively seeing our own timescape. But when you're looking at it from that position of it's not linear, I'm, I'm existing in all the days of my life right now. There's less fear, there's more wonder, there's more joy. And then the culture says, but that's not true. And I say, how do you know? Right? I mean, maybe this is reality. Maybe the everyone is more real than linear time. But doesn't our, ex our experience of the thing is the thing, right? This is what I keep coming back to is, I mean, I guess there's, our meeting is at 9am. There's yeah. that. Yeah. But for the rest of it, I just, I'm trying to think how I can apply this. Yeah. You know, because you can tell me time is a pink hippopotamus and I'm like, fine, like, cool. Absolutely. Einstein looked at a clock tower from a streetcar. All right. You, fine. But so what? Like how, what, how does this, apart from my delicious little glimpses of of my love is in America. How does it help? It's delicious. And, and we say it's woo woo. And it's, it's a little, it's like you have a little taste treat off to the side, a little sorbet for your palate after you eat your real meal, which is linear time all the time. <laughs> damn it. That's a great metaphor. You know? And what if that's not the truth? What if it's more than glimmers if we allow it to be? So all it takes is prizing the mind free from that rigid definition of time. And many, many cultures never even had that definition of time. And what if we let go, if we just open our minds to the possibility of the eternal self, the out of time self, I bet it could comfort us, could guide us. I mean, just talking about those times, I feel like somehow you and I knew each other before we knew each other. And I have to say, right before you came into my life, like four days before I had this overwhelming yearning for a certain person I wrote and I didn't think it would be like a romance, but I knew someone was, was coming into my life. And it became four days before I connected with you, really connected for the first time, it became so unbearable that I was actually telling people about it. And they were like, you're right, someone's coming. I had friends who were willing to open their minds. Mm. And that allowed me, I was, in, I was really upset the way you were before Bilbo, the dog. <laughs> Very much the same sort of situation. <laughs> if I had trusted, just leaned back into my true nature and said, all right, I feel this as an absolute truth coming, a memory of my future. I'm going to accept that and trust it. Mm -hmm. I bet if I do that, I'll have so much less anxiety, so much more joy, and maybe like a more accurate perception of reality. And I feel myself relax. When I think that, you know, I can feel my body relax. I can feel like I'm taking a deeper breath. And that's always our, our little signal, isn't it? That we're coming to our senses, that we're coming out of culture and back to nature, right? Is when, yeah. Oh, that the feels good. The body is suddenly lining up with the mind. <sighs> and it feels truer. It feels truer to me. It does. You know, when I studied that book, um, The Child in Time by uh -huh. Ian McEwan, I studied it with like one of my life's great teachers and um, Mr. Jeffrey Joachim, for those of you <laughs> from my school who remember him. And we just loved him and we loved studying it and it blew our minds so amazingly. And um, we, this is the first time I came across T.S. Eliot, I think, and inside the book there's a, a quote from Eliot and it says, time past and time present are both perhaps present in time future and time future contained in time past. And we just, oh, oh, like, oh, you know, that teenage thing when um, ideas come up. Anyway, a couple of years after we finished school, that teacher died of a stroke very suddenly. And uh, we put that quote in the newspaper as his sort of like our obituary and ended up getting read out at his funeral oh. and it was just it was such a 
kind of beautiful another circle coming up and being closed you know maybe it's all just circles I think it might be yeah so and and all we're saying is open the mind let go of the culture's closed fist on time and like explore openly with your mind what you're feeling about time and any pre-memories pre-memories you may be having or have had and see what does to your life and also stay wild we hope you're enjoying bewildered if you're in the usa and want to be notified when a new episode comes out text the word wild to 570-873-0144 for more of us martha's on instagram the martha beck she's on facebook the martha beck and she's on twitter martha beck her website is marthabeck.com. And me, I too am on Instagram, Rowan underscore Mangan. I'm on Facebook as Rowan Mangan, and I'm on Twitter as Rowan Mangan. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.